0: Welcome to Central Assembly of God's podcast. We pray this message speaks to you. All right, if you want to turn with me to Luke chapter 16, what I want to do today, you know, we've talked about push pay over these past couple months. We just talked about, or these past several weeks, we talked about missions giving And I felt in my heart uh, back in July when we came back from El Salvador that the Lord was going to have me preach several messages on money, on finances, on giving, the wisdom that God wants us to have with that. However, he took us in in a slightly different direction uh, into the sermon series, Spark Before the Fire, and I feel like he's just released me to share a few messages on that in the upcoming week. So what I want to talk to you out of Luke 16 today is about the connection between your ability to steward and handle wealth, worldly money and your ability and opportunity to handle spiritual riches. I do believe that there is a correlation, a connection there, and I think that we'll see it here in Luke chapter 16. You know, if you remember, just I want you to keep this in mind as we're talking about words like wealth and prosperity, uh, income, money. I want you to understand, compared to 80% of the rest of the world, you are wealthy and you are prosperous, all right? So when we, when we talk about that, I'm not saying you have to have the private jet When I'm talking about prosperity, I'm saying you have more than 80, if not 90% of the most uh, of the rest of this world. So when I talk about money, I'm not talking about those of you who make over 100,000 or if you have two vacation homes. I'm perfectly fine with that if you do. What I'm saying is this, if you have a home or an apartment, a car and a mobile phone, you would qualify as having an abundance of resources compared to the rest of this world. It's what we do with those resources that can open up the door to being used in greater ways by God. Now, I can say with confidence that this church is in a healthy place financially. We just celebrated it with missions. Our giving is is up. We're in a good place. So I'm not preaching a message, a, a, a money message out of desperation. I'm not secretly hoping that we get, you know, we get out of the red and into the black for the rest of the year. We're in a good place. And I think this is the best time to preach on something like this. You know, my heart's pure, and my heart is pure for your heart to be pure before the Lord, to understand that giving is part of us following the Lord and just responding to his nature of generosity. Now, next week, like Vicki already said, we're going to talk about a project in El Salvador. It does have a large price tag on it, but there's no hidden innuendos in today's message. Today's message is about our heart toward the Lord and how generosity will flow when we're completely sold out. Him. everybody say amen? amen? I know the message of prosperity has been abused. I know that topics of sowing into people's ministries, you know, you, you might turn on a certain television channel at two o'clock in the morning, and before you know it, you've been, you know, coerced into to being a part of Gideon's 300, and you left it, and you didn't even pray about it. You don't know where it just went, but you're believing that you're going to be blessed because you gave it, but your heart wasn't in it, and your faith wasn't in it. Are you following me? I'm not, we're not, we're not coercing anything. what I'm not going to do is avoid the topic of money just because others have abused it. There's an abuse and then there's a hiding of it. And then there's actually what Jesus taught about it. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about money. We're going to talk about generosity. We're going to talk about giving because you know what? If your heart is settled in that matter of the Lord is your Lord of all, then giving is exciting. In fact, you start to think about ways. How can you leverage my money, God, to bring your kingdom to this earth in a greater way? How can you use my abundance to bring glory to your name? How can you use, even if my my resources are limited, what can you do with these, God, to help touch somebody's life, to help meet a need in my community? Giving actually becomes exciting. It's not, oh, this pastor's talking about money again. Yeah, money can be a powerful tool in use in advancing the kingdom. Someone once said, I don't know who it was, but I had it in a a different, um, in my notes here. This is just a quote someone said. The way we see things, anything in life, the way you see things is the source of the way we think and the way we act. So each one of us has lenses or a perspective of how we perceive life around us, right? Someone on vacation, it's a gloomy, rainy day. They're saying my day was ruined. A half a mile down the road is a farmer saying, thank you, God, for sending rain. I needed it. It's all about perspective. And how you perceive things is going to determine how you think about something and actually how you act. So the way you see money will determine what you think about money and the way you act with money. Whatever perspective you have with money, with wealth, with giving, it will determine what you do with it. So if money is perceived as your own possessions, do whatever you want with it, it's just yours and God's completely separated, then you'll use money for your own advancement, right? Just for your own personal things, for your own personal gain, for your own personal lifestyle. On the other side, sometimes Christians believe that money is evil or at best it's unscriptural. So every time you would spend something or if you would you know, go on a vacation or buy something new for the house, then you, you have you know, shame and condemnation or you feel like it's dirty when you spend money. But if we have the perspective that God has, that God owns it all, that God created it all. In fact, in Colossians uh, 1, chapter 16, you don't have to turn there, just one verse. It says, everything was created through him and for him. Now, if we have that perspective and that lens that God created it all, everything flowed through him and everything is for him. And if I know that every blessing, any material possession that I have was his first, and he has given it to me to be a steward, a wise manager of it, Then I will see in perspective, yes, I have bills to pay. Yes, I have needs to make. Yes, I want to take my children on vacation so they can relax and get out of that. But it's much greater than that. Saying, God, it's all yours and you've given it to me to steward. Now, what do you want me to do with my money? I don't wait for the bills to come in to determine where my money is going to go. I make up my mind before I ever get the paycheck, how my money is going to be used for his glory first and foremost, knowing that he's going to take care of the end of the month when it comes around. But it takes a perspective. It takes a renewing of the mind to understand that your money can actually be used in spiritual and God-honoring ways. So the correct perspective is that God owns it all. He owned it all before you ever touched it. Now, when I think about national studies, you hear these statistics sometimes. A few years ago, there was a Barna Research did uh, studies on the church it said that 80% of evangelicals said they donated something to charity in the past year. So dollar, $5, whatever it was. So that's large. 80% of evangelicals donated to some type of charity. In that same study, it showed that only 12% of evangelical Christians, we'd fall within that, only 12% gave at least 10% to the Lord. Now, 10% is used as a reference point to the tithe that was taught throughout the Old Testament. So when we look at the group of believers, even in a church this size, you know, 400 adults attend regularly, that would be 48 believers. And I I do believe it's far greater than that in our church family. But statistically, out of 400 people, 48 people would actually support the work of the ministry while everybody else might just, you know, give a little bit here and there. This is where we have to change our perspective, is you're not giving to a need. You're not giving just so the lights turn on. You're not giving uh, because we have a building fund or a missions fund or anything else. You're giving to the Lord in faith that he's going to use your money for his kingdom. It's a belief that he actually does want a great revival in the church and a great awakening in this nation before he returns. And we can use our money in a powerful and an effective way to resource the ministers of the gospel who are sending that message forth. Right? We look at technology and all the things, they cost money. But people, churches and ministries and organizations are beginning to use and continuing to use technology to advance the gospel all across this world. Right? The, gospel of the, the message of the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the nations and then the end will come. So you can actually have a partnership in that. Now I actually believe that giving is the first evidence that you are handling money well, not your saving. So in the culture, they'll say, well, did you save 10%? Did you put this 10% aside? Did you do this? Did you do that? It'll be everything that you're doing with your money to keep the money for yourself. I don't believe that's, that's the biblical grid. I don't believe that's the biblical um, foundation for how you're handling money. I believe the, the cornerstone of how you can handle the money that God has entrusted is how much you are willing to let it go. Do you have such a tight grip on it That God, you're not even willing to hear the voice of the Lord, of how he wants you to use your finances, to help a needy neighbor, to help a minister in an organization outside of here, to do something with a missionary. So when we look at your level of generosity to the Lord, it's the standard by which your ability to steward money can be judged. If you were to have a conversation with God, I do not think he's going to ask you how much is in your bank account, how much have you saved for later, how many nice things do you have in your house. What have you used your financial possessions, how, how have you used it to bring glory to his name? But think about that. What we're gonna see in Luke chapter 16 is that your faithfulness in stewarding finances in the natural is actually a doorway to stewarding the supernatural. i want to read some verses. Starting at verse one, we'll get to, I think, verse 12 or 13, depending upon how much time we have here. So in verse one, it says, Jesus told his disciples, this is a parable. This is a story with a central truth. It has other truths and other realities surrounding it, but there's a central truth. In fact, when you're reading a parable, sometimes you'll see, like you hear about the unrighteous judge in one place. You hear, um I lost my train of thought. You hear about a harsh owner who gives talents out, but he's a harsh owner in another parable. Jesus is never condoning something that's unbiblical or unethical, but in his stories, he's trying to prove a point. So in this story, he says this, there's a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So we have a rich man, he's the owner. And then we have a manager who was using the owner's money. Okay. He wasn't, the manager's in charge of the rich man's wealth to use it wisely. But he was accused of wasting it. So in verse two, it says, he called him in and he asked him, what is this I hear about you? give an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. So here we just have a picture. There's someone with a great amount of wealth that was giving it to somebody else to steward wisely, and he was not doing it wisely. In verse three, it says, the manager said to himself, what should I do now? He's in like a pretty big mess, right? It says, my master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I'll do what I'll, uh, I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. Now, he had revelation, this man, this manager had revelation that he was not doing what the owner intended him to do with his money. So he knew he was about to lose his job, don't correlate this like you're going to get kicked out of his kingdom, it's a central point, a central truth. He realized he wasn't using the money wisely, so then he became shrewd with the money. He he put a plan together so that he would actually be welcomed in. There would be a future reward with how he was using his owner's money now. So he said here in verse 5, am I that far already? I think so. Anybody following along? That was a test to see if you knew what verse I was on. (laughs) It says, so he called in each one of his master's debtors. So these are other people who owed his master money. And he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil. That's like a lot of olive oil when you think about it. He replied, uh, the manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 400. Now, is that ethical to do with somebody else's money and debt? No, but Jesus is about to teach a truth, a principle out of this. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. So basically, just prior to being fired for bad management of natural resources, he goes and he lowers the debt of those who owed an owner, his owner the debt. In verse 8, the master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. This is not Jesus commending unethical behavior. What he's, bringing to a, 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 he's, what he's rising to the surface is that we must be shrewd with our natural resources. It's evidence that we will be shrewd and wise and clever with spiritual resources when we're entrusted with them. It's the doorway into, it's the proving method that God, I'm using my natural resources wisely, so now it qualifies me to use spiritual resources wisely. That word shrewd means good at judging people or situations. Clever, crafty, sharp, accurate. Those are all the ways that we should be handling our financial resources. He goes on in verse eight, it says, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Now, this is no longer a parable, folks. He's like starting to hit this man right between his eyes with some truth. He's saying somehow people of the light, people in God's kingdom have stopped using their resources wisely. They stopped thinking about, hey, How I use my resources now will actually affect a reward in how I can step into the kingdom later. And he's saying people that are not followers of Jesus, people that are in the kingdom of darkness are actually more clever and more thoughtful with their natural resources than we as believers are thoughtful of our spiritual resources. And if we're not thinking about our spiritual resources and we're not thinking about riches in heaven, I'm not talking about money, I'm talking about experience, I'm talking about breakthrough, I'm talking about reformation and transformation of people's hearts. If we're not even thinking about that, then very, very often we're not thinking about how we're using our earthly resources. In verse 90, he says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself. Now you read that and say, what? Jesus is telling us to buy our friends? no. You have to study some of this. It says, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now watch what he's showing here. Again, he's showing the correlation, the connection between how we use our worldly wealth and how we will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. That word wealth there is mammon. If you have a King James Bible, it actually uses the word mammon. It means an abundance of possessions. That word worldly means unrighteous. So what he's saying here is you should use your worldly wealth, your unrighteous abundance of possessions to benefit other people, not just to gain friends. The implication of this verse is to help somebody in need, to give to the poor, to invest in those that are advancing the message of the gospel. It's the evidence of why people gave in the New Testament. It wasn't out of law. It wasn't out of requirement. It was out of a cheerful heart that they were going to help somebody that had a greater need than them. It was out of a cheerful heart that said, listen, this ministry is advancing the gospel. This person's preaching the gospel. This organization is helping to feed people. Out of that, I have an expectation. I have a faith, an anticipation that God's going to use my finances for his glory. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, use your worldly wealth in this way. So that when it's gone, how many of you know all of our possessions are going to be completely gone one day? We do. We work so hard to build up our finances. And there's nothing wrong with saving. There's evidence in Scripture of saving, investing in future, in our, in our own future, investing in future generations. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But the foundation is, do we have a heart of generosity? Are we, are, do we have too tight of a grip on our finances? Or are we willing to let it go for how and where God wants it to go? And it will have eternal significance, Jesus is beginning to teach here. You're starting to see the correlation of how we use worldly wealth and the significance it has on the opportunity that you will have to operate in his kingdom. In verse 10, he says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. I don't know why that word very is in there, but that's like really cool. Like Jesus trusts us so much. He's saying, listen, if I can just see that you can be trusted with very little resources, that if I know you're trustworthy, now I'll trust you with much. But that doesn't always correlate to, hey, if you were good with 20 cents, you'll be good with 20 million. He's talking earthly resources to heavenly riches. I want you to see the comparison. I'm not saying, listen, when you invest and you give, God oftentimes will continue to reward you financially. I'm not saying don't expect that but your heart, you're giving because you know you're being wise in the natural. So now you can be trusted with wisdom in the supernatural. He says, whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Listen, you can't wait to hit the jackpot and then say, I'll start giving. My heart will change if I just hit it now. Right? I'm just waiting until I get that 10% raise and then I'll give my 10% to the Lord. No, listen, this isn't a giving issue. Have you caught on to it yet? This isn't about finances. It's about our heart to the Lord. I just want to wait until I get that new job, that new raise, that new, as soon as that money comes in, no whammies, stop, then I'll start to give. No, listen, if you are not, no whammies, that's from the 80s. (laughs) Woo, I never thought I'd be bringing out my age. (laughs) We'll explain later, college students. It was an old game show. If you are not able to be generous with $3, then when you get $30,000, you're going to want to grab onto that even more because there's more to lose. My, my son just had a birthday party. We don't, we don't just give off of income. We get off, our family has just learned to give off of whatever comes in. So Shreese and him uh, just worked out, you know, what, what a portion was that he was gonna give back to the Lord from the cash that a 10-year-old got in his birthday. So we talked a little bit before. I said, you understand, mom and dad and God aren't forcing you to give that, right? God's not standing over you saying, I'm gonna be mad if you don't give that. Are you excited to give that? Are you happy to give that? So we talked through that a little bit. God doesn't want you, oh, all right, here goes my calculator. I'm gonna, I want to give this. I have to give this. You'll be mad at me. Absolutely not, right? That's like when a kid, when one of your children, if you have children, does something for you with a horrible attitude. Do you want them to even do it for you? No. You want them to be filled with, <laughs> some of you say, yeah, just empty the dishwasher. I don't care what your attitude is. <laughs> That's a difference in theology that Teresa and I have. <laughs> Shut your mouth and empty the dishwasher. No, <laughs> The perfect father wants you to be filled with joy when you give. And he wants you to be trusted with a little so you can be trusted with much. Our inheritance is blessing. Unless you take a vow of poverty and you choose to do what some people walk in that because there's an anointing in that when you're called to do it. Unless you do that, God's will for your life is blessing. He wants you to be trusted with little so he can trust you with much in both the natural and And the supernatural. Matthew 16, or Matthew 6, sorry, verse 19, it says, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moth moth eats them and rust destroys them, where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot steal or destroy, and thieves cannot break in and steal. It says, Wherever your treasure is, the desires of your heart will also be. That's a new living translation. I like that. Where your treasure is, the desires of your heart will also be. So if your treasure is in an item in your home, if your treasure is in the next car that you want, if your treasure is in something else where your attention is on that and your goal is on that and all of your heart is focused on that, that's where the desires of your heart are going to flow out of. And that's why when some, when some people say, well, wait, we gave to Paul Martini on Saturday. On Sunday, we gave to Global Awakening. Two weeks later, we gave to uh, Pastor Appreciation. In a couple weeks, they're asking for this. No, we're not asking. We're not asking because we're in need. I, w- I want you to get this. We're giving people opportunities to support and sow into ministries and greater ways that we can touch this world with the message of Jesus Christ, period. Period. So you, I want you to check what your heart is feeling when we talk about money, generosity, letting go of resources. If there's like that irritation or if there's that excitement about it. If there's the irritation, maybe the Lord wants to give you a revelation today that he truly is Lord of all. So it's where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, the treasure, I believe the treasure of Sharice in my heart is for our kids to be raised up in a supernatural environment. So just about two weeks ago, I think it was like two weeks ago, we were going to a conference, and in that conference uh, was a, chil- a children's um, uh, segment. Thank you. So in the morning and the evening, they were learning similar topics than we were. They had uh, one of the revivalists that were speaking in the one session go and speaking. God's power came, and even kids in elementary school being filled with the Holy Spirit, being put under the power of God. We want our children to be raised in that environment, okay? Now, we knew that this conference was coming up, and we knew we didn't have enough money to, to take the kids. Okay? So we began to pray and we trusted that the Lord was going to do it. But where's, our, where's the treasure of our heart? Where's the desire of our heart? Our treasure was for our kids to be raised up in the supernatural, for our kids to be exposed to the same things that we're being exposed to. Right? We had some other unforeseen expenses this year, so we just didn't have the money. You know, whether it was their portion of the hotel room, the meals, uh, the, the, uh, the actual registration, whatever it was, we didn't have it. But what happened over weeks and weeks of just praying and believing? Like they're registered now and like we have to feed them while they're there. So we're trusting that the Lord's going to provide. But our treasure is on our kids being raised in something spiritual, a, a, a spiritual rich, a spiritual wealth. Two weeks before we leave, two weeks and two days before we leave, I get handed an envelope. It's an anonymous envelope. It was just a very kind note in it. Nobody uh, had signed it, but it was for an amount that we needed plus some to pay for some of the unforeseen bills that we had. You can't make this stuff up, right? I could have stood up here and said, well, we really hope to leave in a couple of weeks. We just don't have the, no. Because it's not about you giving to a need. It's about somebody responding in faith because we were praying in faith. And there's an excitement there. God, how do you want to use my resources to advance your kingdom? So it's the day, I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to baptize people in like five minutes and I open this up and I read this note and I'm like crying my face off like a little baby right before I come up here saying, God, you are so good, you are so faithful, you knew exactly when we needed to go, you knew what we needed to bring our kids up. So now our, the desire of our heart rises in that area now because we know he's going to be faithful. Verse 11, I wanna keep out on for maybe five minutes and then we'll close up. Verse 11 of Luke 16 says, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? That's the NIV. The NLT says, if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches of heaven? New King James. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon or unrighteous wealth, who will commit to you a trust in the true riches. Bill Johnson once said that money is the kindergarten of the spiritual life. We think we'll start, right, we'll start with the, all the spiritual stuff, right? Bible reading, prayer, fasting. We'll rearrange our schedules for that, won't we? We'll rearrange our schedules to pray, to read God's word. We'll actually not go. We will forego eating food for several days to spend time in fasting. But do we ever rearrange our budget? Do we rearrange our spending habits to give to the Lord? It's all spiritual. Money isn't an add-on. How we're handling our money is the quickest, first, easiest way that we can show God he's Lord of all. In fact, if you call Jesus your Lord, but you have not given him lordship over your finances, is he Lord of all? So you can do one of two things with this. You could say, okay, Lord, you're showing me something from scripture. I can learn from this. It's revelation. I'm gonna act on it. Or you can feel condemned and feel like, oh, he's just trying to be hard on me. I believe choice one is the biblical way. There's revelation that's saying in scripture, if you're not trustworthy with handling worldly wealth, then you will not be given the opportunity to handle heavenly riches. If giving is a done deal, in your heart. Generosity is a done deal in your heart. Then it doesn't irritate you or offend you when a pastor talks about it. If you're irritated or offended or just can't wait until these five minutes are up, <laughs> then it's not, it might not be a done deal for you. And that's okay. It wasn't always a done deal for me, right? But when it's settled in your heart, then you're like, okay, that's good. What can we do with our finances to bring glory to God? See, when Jesus is your Lord, all aspects of your life come into alignment with his kingdom. Humility, honesty, integrity, passion, and giving is one of those. So we should be able to rearrange our life in the same ways we would for Bible reading and prayer as we do for giving. I believe that a culture of generosity, absolutely including financial generosity, is a necessity to steward his presence. And I believe the Lord showed me why. If we're not generous with our money, then we're worried about who's gonna use our money wrong. If I give money to a poor person, what if he goes out and buys alcohol with it? Like, there's always a concern with how generosity will affect other people. I believe if we're not generous with our money and God begins to show up in our services in powerful ways, guess what? When he shows up, generosity shows up, okay? So there's gonna be someone that has lied to you, stabbed you in the back, betrayed you for years, And you two aren't right yet. And this person standing up here like this, maybe even like this, maybe not even worshiping, maybe they're not even up here, maybe they're in the back row. And God's generosity comes and completely encounters this person. And they get set free and they get forgiven and there's no more shame, there's no more condemnation. And his generosity has completely transformed their life. And you're sitting over there saying, he doesn't deserve that. She doesn't deserve that. And it's a sign in your heart that you don't have a generous heart. If we settle it before that ever happens, back in the earthly wealth, earthly resources, worldly possessions, settle the issue of generosity in your heart and say, it's not mine. You've given it to me to steward. Okay, you're telling me to give it here. Okay, you're telling me to give it over here. Good. You're telling me to give it there. Fine. When you let that flow, then when God begins to touch people, you just see him as doing this. You want it? Good. You deserve it. Go. Okay, back there. Oh, you're bound. Okay, you're free. Right? So we handle this. We want to be trustworthy with worldly wealth so we can be trusted with true heavenly riches. What are the heavenly riches? What are they? They're the people that are getting born again in this church. They're the two people that just came to know the Lord. On the, what it, was, it was the third Friday night that, that the teams went out. Two more people came to know the Lord in street ministry. It's, the, it's Gwen getting completely set free, being healed, saved, healed, and delivered all in one day. Those are true heavenly riches. We talk about revival, spirit come, spirit come, spirit come, but do not touch my wallet. Right? I want to feel you here, not here. Come on. I want to be as excited about giving to the Lord or giving to someone in need as I am about somebody getting healed. The reverse of that verse, 11, would say, since you have been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, you will now be trusted with heavenly riches. Down in verse 13, it says, no servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. When it says hating one, he's not talking about hating money, like when you get it, you're like, oh, I I hate you. Like, I, I I don't want you. (laughs) <laughs> well, I want money. Yeah. We have four kids and they eat a lot, so like, we need money. It's talking about hating the power, the spirit behind that mammon. It's hating the grip that it can have on your life. That's why I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk about giving next week in the most practical sense of how Charisse and I, we give before we ever even see the check. It doesn't, have, we don't have an option to not give. And we didn't calculate our generosity. It's in our heart first so we know it's not going to have a grip on us. We're going to tell our money where it's going to go. You could say, well, yeah, well, you tell that to your mortgage company. No, I chose to have a mortgage. I choose to have gas. I choose to have electricity, right? I choose to have all those things. So I don't have to be mad at the utility company. I choose to have those. So I'm still telling my money where it's going to go. So when money doesn't have a power over you, when that spirit of mammon isn't in your life, then you could say, I hate that spirit. Now I love God. He's the Lord of all. But on the flip side, it says you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. If you're devoted to money, you're devoted to things, and you're devoted to, to possessions, it doesn't mean that you'll despise God. You'll, just, is, you'll despise every teaching on finances that God gives you through his word. You'll despise hearing, oh, it's just another person talking about money. I was tempted. I, tempted is a, is a bad thing. I, I was thoughtful about actually receiving an offering of repentance today. But I don't want to force an attitude of repentance on people. And I don't want you to think like, I'm just taking an offering to benefit the church. So if the Lord has given you revelation over this message over the next few weeks, and you begin to give to the Lord for the very first time, I'm asking you, I don't don't care if you give it to the church or not. Uh, uh, But when you give it, give it as an offering of repentance don't just get it and say, okay, I'm just going to give for the first time. Let's go see what happens. In your heart, give it as an offering of repentance. Say, God, I'm turning away from not being shrewd. I'm turning away from possibly that spirit of mammon, of greed, of, of just being afraid of, of not having enough. And I'm turning toward the Father's heart. And everything in the Father's heart is generous. So I'm going to give you an offering of repentance away from that lifestyle, and then you watch as generosity continues to flow, and then you watch as spiritual riches, heavenly riches and breakthrough are entrusted to your lives. Let's stand. If if you're comfortable, just place your hand on your heart. I'm gonna place my hand on my heart. Father, we just pray for nothing short of a miracle in each one of our hearts. Father, even for, for individuals, God, who continuously give generously, Father, and their lives are aligned with it. I just pray you just continue to work in their hearts new and creative ways for generosity. Father, if you've gifted people with the ability to make wealth, as your word says, that are in this church, I pray that you would even double that ability so that they would continue to be excited and entrepreneurial and creative about what you want to do through their life of giving. Father, for those who have just uh, have been afraid to give, for those who are, are seriously and honestly in very difficult positions uh, financially in their life, God, I just pray against any guilt or condemnation from this message. In fact, I pray against somebody's, uh, uh, somebody's temptation to just give as a response and not have their heart attached to it. We want Your heart, Father. We want a heart of generosity, Lord Jesus. So I pray for a miracle to take place in our hearts that you will increase the divine generosity of each heart in this room until we mirror the generosity of the divine Father, the creator and owner of everything. And Father, we just call it to be done now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.